everybody. Welcome back to Off of Conversations. Brought to you today by Arcadia Publishing and the History Press, I'm Jonathan Foster. Today I'm going to be speaking with photographer and author Jay Farrell. Jay has a series of books out focusing on abandoned places, including abandoned Alabama, abandoned Tennessee, abandoned Kentucky, abandoned Mississippi, abandoned Nashville, abandoned Memphis. Jay considers himself an urban explorer, and in his latest book, he's exploring abandoned churches, country stores, antebellum era houses, a cotton gin, and more. Now, Jay's going to be joining me in a second, but earlier today, I had the opportunity to go out and be a judge at a local middle school's history fair. Let me tell you, the youth here in the Mount Pleasant, Charleston School District area, they know their history. Now, yeah, they were some entries in the history fair where it looked like the kids about 8 o'clock last night let their mom and dad know they had a history fair they had to do today, but those were few and far between. The kids here, really proud of them. They did a great job on their history projects. Just wanted to give them a shout out. That's Moultrie Middle School. Y'all did a great job on your history fair today. Well, let's get right to the podcast. I want to say, Jay, thanks for joining me. So thanks for coming on and you have published many books with us about abandoned places and something I've always wondered about you is what came first, your interest in photography or your interest in abandoned areas and places? Um, well, actually both, uh, I've, I've always kind of been fascinated. You know, my, my first photography memory that I really got into was, uh, back in like the high school days, I would, uh, photograph, uh, car junkyards and, uh, and the cars. And then a lot of the time I'd even find rolls of film in the glove boxes to use, uh, some 35 millimeter film. And, uh, so it's really no huge surprise that I'm into this now. Um, I, that interest kind of got revisited maybe 15 years ago. Uh, I would bring models to photograph, uh, at, to like some abandoned warehouses and factories, that sort of thing. And Nashville had plenty of that back then. Uh, these days, not so much. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I just kind of photographed, uh, subjects there, but really over the past few years, I got into uh, photographing the buildings themselves. I, I think one day the biggest turning point was I was waiting for a model to show up on set and uh, she was late or didn't show up or something. And I just decided, okay, well, I got this building to shoot. Um, I'm just going to do that. And then I thought to myself, this is almost better. Uh, <laughs> there's no other schedules to consider. It's just uh, the building doesn't talk back. And here we are today uh, published with, um, abandoned building books. <laughs> yeah. And what is it about the abandoned buildings that are in, you know, that are, people are so obsessed with you think? Uh, well, I think just the, uh, the total contrast, um, it started off for me as I see, I don't know if I would have appreciated them the same way as I do now, if it weren't for the contrast of, uh, the beautiful models and the, uh, the texture and, blighted condition of the buildings it just kind of went together really nicely like you know reese's peanut butter right uh but as far as the buildings themselves go now i just really like the stories they tell and uh the the distress you know just i i really love to go through them like whether it's an old house out in the weeds uh or like an abandoned uh industrial building or something like that it kind of i kind of leave the uh, I, I let the contents left behind tell the story and I kind of piece it together. And since getting published, this has been kind of a new challenge. I've done my best to do the research on the, on the place's history. 
and that's r- really added to the story. But whereas before, I would just basically leave it up to interpretation. I wouldn't really dig deep into the history because it's kind of you know let it be whatever you want it to be. It was one of the most interesting stories you found from a building since you started to dig into the history. Well, um, there was one, I remember in in my, uh, this is in my abandoned Alabama, Dark Shadows of Generations Past. It was uh, an abandoned mental asylum, which which I knew what it was. Uh, It was pretty hard to find. I found it, and it's been abandoned since 1977 but when i started to dig into the history of it which wasn't really easy to find because um as we approached modern times the the conditions grew very very overcrowded and i'm afraid they just didn't have the resources to do good records keeping let alone you know care for the patients the way they intended to from the start but uh but i i was able to do some digging on that and uh, you know it was built that was actually a segregated unit for African-American patients that opened in the late 1930s. And, um, you know, and actually the institution, when it first opened up as part of University of Alabama, it was actually quite reputable where they wanted to truly study the mental illnesses and treat people with dignity and get them to contribute to society. Like, you know, even in the old days before this facility was built and the overcrowding started, they would even have the patients help uh, work the land and uh, even – participate in plays and even uh, write for the local newspaper, that sort of thing. Um, I think it might have been a special newspaper just for them, but it it was just over the years it got harder and harder to uh, follow. Um, I mean, like, you know, maintain that level of integrity in the facility. And by then the conditions were overcrowded and funding got cut. And I think in like in the Reagan era, not to get political, uh, but – that's when a lot of the funding for mental health programs was cut. And and this facility had been abandoned since uh, 1977. And doing further research on that, the Jim Crow era was over in the 1960s. So I guess Alabama held on to that um, for a pretty long time. But, you know, they they actually added on to the facility and they shut it down eventually. Uh, But it's just, uh, there wasn't much in the way of furnishings left behind when I walked through, but it was, a huge space and it just you know I, I just remember it was just like i was i didn't know where to even begin it was just so great there was so much to go through but most of it was just the work of mother nature kind of reclaiming the building and even people coming in there and vandalizing it but there there wasn't really a whole lot else left as far as furnishings or chairs or beds or any of that but i did find some mattresses and I think uh, like a lot of local kids would go in there and throw parties, which probably isn't the brightest thing to do going in a place mm-hmm. like that at nighttime. Um, I was never super into the paranormal end of it, but I, I bet you those that who are, uh, they would find something there for sure. Yeah. I don't necessarily believe in ghosts, but I also don't believe in taking any chances just in case. So. Well, uh, yeah, I'm kind of the same way. Like I, I still wouldn't test that theory too much by going in there at night. Yeah, Exactly. I mean, so, particularly it, after having alcohol and, you know, you're dealing with uh, some very weak floors, it's just too easy to get hurt. Yeah, and I got a question about that a little bit later on. But also you've, you know, kind of branched outside the city and urban exploring too, and you've kind of found some places out in the countryside uh, that have been abandoned too. Do you have a 
you know, a preference now? Do you prefer like the, you know, an old gas station or an old, or an old house that you found with weeds, you know, now growing through the floor or something like that? Do you, is there one you prefer over the other? I love it all really. Um, you know, the houses, you know, you sort of try to envision what might've happened by the contents left behind. Um, you can tell a lot of, of, I remember one, another farmhouse in Alabama had a TV, I believe, even perhaps from the 1950s. It was really old. Uh, I've seen plenty of 1960s TVs, but never one like that. And it was actually made by HP. I had no idea HP was even around then. Yeah, but they it, were it, for a while, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, there was just so much, you know, there's so much these contents, and I've even had to research different brands of appliances and stuff like that just to see, you know, when was just try to put a timeline on it. And you can tell by some houses that it was probably some elderly people that lived there and maybe they were shut-ins and, uh, you know, and some it's just, they magically disappeared and it was pretty much how they left it. That's yeah. rare, but I've seen, I've seen it a couple times. Uh, yeah. but it's, uh, most of the time I'm not able to find much research on houses because it's so random and it's not like I'm going to go knocking on people's doors. Yeah, I mean, as you know, just because you don't live in a lot of these places, you know, you don't have time to go by the you know county courthouse to get property records to see who last lived there and see if they they had to get put into a nursing home or died in the home. Right. The family just didn't have time or the resources to do something about the site or what have you. Well, it's kind of weird because, like, as far as that end of it, I don't really care because uh, I don't think it really helps the story any. I think the story kind of tells itself. Uh, I mean, you know, naturally, I hope that people are doing well, which. Probably they probably aren't by now, unless it just maybe uh, a lot of the times, like I know what happens in Kentucky, one specific area uh, kind of declines because of the lack of industry in the area. Um, a lot of the time, like river transportation and railroad transportation are a bit of the thing of the past, and that dried up a lot of industry, and the interstates were built, and, um, and then the industry shut down, and the generations that are there now, uh, the younger generations are leaving, and grandma's house needed too much work and they basically just rebuild something else on the land and let that sit there because it's not eating any hay and the cost to demolish it it's probably greater than what they have or want to put into it so uh yeah i mean i I, i'm much more prone to looking up history for an industrial application for some reason um I, I guess I've always been one, like, I don't like to editorialize my work too much, but something like that asylum, I think just the chapter by itself wouldn't have had the same potency as if I actually took the time to dig at the history of it. But obviously a random house in the middle of the weeds, I'd probably never find any information about that. But it doesn't matter as much. It's just what it is. It's an interesting old house. Yeah. But at the same point, you know, you never know where that research it may lead you to or who, you know, you never know who that land might have been tied to or you never know True. who might have lived there. And for, you know, because for me, it's, you know, that's just the beginning of the story because I kind of, you know, working at different historic sites and I still, you know, work with a historic site even still today you sure. know, with the second you know job I kind of work with. So that's, you know, kind of, you know, where I come from in that aspect. And it's just a different aspect of way of looking at things. People look at historic because I kind of do, you know, historic research in a different, you know, way of looking at it. And, you know, so you're coming from a, you know, an artistic standpoint and I come from a historic standpoint looking at it. It doesn't mean either way is right sure. or wrong, but each works together also. Well, uh, and that's something I had no idea about. But And you're absolutely right. It really does. It, um, I, I didn't even think that historians would even want to talk to me. But – 
you know, I find that they're very helpful. And as long as you want to know, they'll tell you. So yeah. it, it's, well, we like uh, to run our mouths and gab a lot, not run our mouths in a bad way, but if someone wants to listen, we're like, and I hope you have five hours because here we go. So. I love it. I mean, you know, it's like, like on my, uh, on my, uh, three day, uh, Mississippi mission, actually three and a half day. Um, all I knew is I was going to start somewhere around Memphis, around the Delta. And I knew that on the last day I was going to ride around with a historian that actually an Alabama historian, um, tuned me into, um, that's all I knew anywhere else was just fair game. And that's the reason I don't generally on longer missions like that. I don't bring people too much because it's probably too much for a lot of people where they have no idea where there's no plan. There's no direction. You just do it. Okay. This back road looks promising. Let's take it. Um, or something like that. The other it's, it's very much, um, on the fly, but, but, but when I, but there was this one in uh, West Alabama, this old, um, Victorian mansion that, Actually, I did want to reach out because I knew there was more to it, to a local historian, and she was very helpful and even provided me, you know, fire maps and all that. I, I knew quite a bit about it. It turned out to be an inn. So, but 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 she actually turned me uh, onto a Mississippi historian that's actually not very far from that county, and and she actually took me around to some different places, and it was quite interesting getting that perspective and you know i just felt we worked very well together um i i, I really didn't expect that kind of support yeah i mean it's, but, it's, yeah. it's a big family in a way a big network you know once you get networked with, network with somebody they have another connection sure. somewhere else oh yeah and it's, and i really enjoy it i mean it's kind of a loner's game doing this uh exploring the way i do it and you know it's not like i'm trying to hide from people or any of that it's just that i don't like to invite trouble either but you know i Pretty much when I go in and, you know, many people would say, oh, yeah, well, it's trespassing, it's criminal. Well, you know, if they really cared that much, they wouldn't have left it in that condition and it wouldn't be accessible. But I obviously don't kick in doors or anything like that yeah. to get in if, if it's, it's not accessible. not going to be there forever either. So, I mean, it's kind of, right. kind of capturing a standpoint in, in time because you might go back there, you know, in a let's just say you could go back there even in a month and a storm might have come through because in the south we'll have a storm. Yeah. Exactly. So. Yeah, especially like in that part of the country. Um, but yeah, and, and that's the reason why a lot of them aren't here now. But, uh, you know, if, for the most part, people don't really care so much. Uh, I've never really had hostility. Everybody has that stereotype like, oh, yeah, well, Bub is going to point a gun at you. Well, you know, that's never happened. Yeah. I, I mean, for the most part, if you're cool with them and you don't try <laughs> to avoid them, then, you know, they might even talk about it some. Yeah, I mean, we have that stereotype here in the South, but for the most part, we are really nice people, and we like to talk, and we like to, if we, if you want to hear our story, we'll tell you our story. Yeah, um, I mean, obviously, if I'm kicking in their door in a house that's occupied, I'd have a problem, but, uh, you know, it's, you got to approach it respectfully, and, you know, and sometimes it's about discretion. Some places, you're better off not going. Yeah, I mean, if you pull somewhere and there's all these signs, beware of dog, or forget or, yeah, sign, oh, sure. forget the dog, beware of owner, you probably don't want to go up to it. No, I don't. Yeah, and, so. you know, and, and it's the same. I don't want to see them any more than they want to see me. You know, I'm, I'm out just just get, kind of get away from things and unwind, and it's good therapy for me as well. Uh, and I'm I'm actually like inspired by the old, um, you know, the texture and the character of the these places. Uh, I just really enjoy it. But you know, hey, if I meet some cool people along the way that's great i just don't go looking for them uh, until maybe i'm back and i want to do some research 
But What's your favorite time period, Jay, to see a building? It is it in the industrial age. You know, is it like nineteen early nineteen hundreds kind of industrial building? You know, Victorian area era kind of building. Uh, kind of just whatever I find interesting because, like, I don't stop at every single abandoned building I see. Uh, hmm. Yeah, I know a little bit about architecture, but. I definitely love the antebellum, and, which you don't see a lot of, but Victorian, you do see that occasionally. And the industrial, I love it. Um, a matter of fact, I was working on uh, Abandoned Memphis. I'm still working on it, actually. But that I found some really great old factories and stuff like that, and I was just in heaven with that. It was great. Um, but you know, they're going through a gentrification, too. So I'm, mm. I'm thinking I probably got it just at the cusp of – where some of those buildings aren't there anymore. So, um, yeah, I, I definitely enjoy all kinds of things. Um, you know, and that kind of brings me to my last point because it's kind of the gentrification process because here in Charleston, you know, we kind of have a term we like to use because we, a lot of these buildings we owe a little bit, you know, and gentrification has, you know, a negative connotation to it also, but it's no, also it's- a readaptive use of a building, a building that was at one time a factory is now a shopping center and apartments. And without readaptive use, those buildings may have been torn down, and we would hate to have seen right. that type of architecture gone. Have you and ever seen a building that you've photographed or any of your photographs ever led to calling attention to this building and it being saved in any way? Yep. Um, you know, I've seen it both ways, or the building gets torn down if it's too far gone. But there was one uh, in my abandoned Nashville book. Um, this big giant factory, um, it was actually a mill where they made like, uh, playground, uh, equipment parts and flagpoles, like all sort of mill work, I guess, uh, baseball bats, I think, uh, you know, stuff of that nature, wow. but they, but they, it, it was huge. And I remember even when they moved out of the factory, like six years ago, the building was in pretty questionable shape even then. So you can imagine what a few extra years did, but, the, but they, uh, you know, but for the past year and about a year and a close to a year and a half they've been working on it and it's probably going to be done sometime in the next six months but but they've but they've kept the kind of the character of the building Mm -hmm. um so it's nice and others i've seen just leveled to the ground which i hate when that happens but um yeah yeah i I think um i even reached out to the property developers that were going to do leasing and they you know they said i could do a pop-up shop that's not really what i'm after i kind of want to sell them prints to put in their lobby yeah yeah, they have the money, you know, so, <laughs> yeah, that's, but, you know, it could still happen, but, yeah, there's there's been quite a bit of that, and I know for a fact uh, that's happening with a couple of the buildings in Memphis where they're going to do that same thing because I think the historical societies kind of squeezed them a little bit to keep the character um, of the building and work with what you have. Yeah, and there's what, that just shows you there's middle ground to, you know, work together to keep that character but also give the building a new life has something else and that's where historical preservation societies are so important in maintaining a character of a city yeah and i got a whole new appreciation for that it's great um all i ask is let me get my piece of the pie first and then do whatever yeah let me snap a few photos and then you guys move on in that's all i'm asking that but sounds like you, a good you know, plan to me i mean the only thing is i don't ask until i'm done uh, <laughs> but jay farrell i swear to god man come on <laughs> Well, I mean, the thing about you're never going to get permission because it's a hazard. You know, they don't want me to, you know, get injured and sue them, uh, which I wouldn't because, I mean, that's just it's not like they invited me there. It's not their fault. 
if something happens, you know, I just have to take my lumps on that one and uh, just, but I've been doing it so long. I pretty much know what's under my feet by now, but, okay, but there Jay, are definitely... I, lied. I lied. That wasn't my last question. I want to ask this one. What's your okay. closest call? Um, well, I watched my friend, Jerry Wynette. Um, he, he went through a kitchen floor in this house in Kentucky. Oh, um, man. All the way through? Fu- well, it, it was, it was a crawl space, but you know, you always have to, you always have to know what's under your feet. Um, if it's in really bad shape and you know, you got like a full basement level, you might consider not walking that. Um, and a good portion of the time I'm traveling solo. So that decreases the chance of me going through as opposed to another person walking next to me. But I always keep my distance from the other person just so the, you know, our combined weight could make a difference if the floor is that bad. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I'm not particularly a huge guy, but it, still, you know, you could get two men together on a weak floor. That could, uh, you know, definitely cause it. I, the worst, the only real injury I've had was um, Christmas Day, actually, last Christmas. I uh, stepped on, uh, I was exploring in East Tennessee, and I stepped on a board with a nail by mistake uh, going oh. into this old house. Did you get a tetanus shot? Well, I had one before that. Okay, um, good. Yeah. Uh, let's just say I waited until I got home to take my shoe off because I didn't really want to see what, what was ahead. And sure oh, enough, no. yeah, yeah. You don't want to see that when you're out and about. I don't blame you. Yeah, I mean, because I was two hours away from home. I couldn't have done much about it. It was Christmas Day. What was I going to do, you know? Uh, I just kind of got home and doctored up a little bit. and um, Keep some alcohol, hydrogen peroxide in your car from now on. Yeah, that's it. probably good. That's probably a good thought. You better just avoid those damn things to begin with. Uh, yeah. But don't step on them. But believe me, it wasn't intended. Uh, other than that, really nothing horrific as far as that goes. Just, um, you know, you just... Definitely have to watch where you're going when you go in these places. Well, Jay, thanks again, and thanks to y'all for listening. And you can find Jay's books at ArcadiaPublishing.com. And we'll see you next time. And, of course, a special thank you for use of the theme song to our podcast by Jay and Bill's Unnamed Band Project. You can find them on Facebook at Jay and Bill's Unnamed Band Project.